The following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised. Theme song. Welcome to the Everett Book Club. We are a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy. My name is Ruiz Tremello, and I give Turing tests for a living. And my name is Marguerite, and I also give Turing tests, working to save the world from Skynet before Skynet becomes Skynet. And today we're recording in sunny Rangoon, Italy, nestled in the Alps, where we're testing out an AI for sentience. Normally, when we travel the world, we redact our location due to privacy stipulations in our contract, but not this time. That's right, Marguerite. This time, our contract says that we have to keep the company name a secret, but we can tell you all about the AI we're testing. And what an AI. Normally, companies call us about poltergeist activity or rogue keyboards typing threatening emails to CEOs or presidents. Or if you've seen the movie Ex Machina... Which I haven't. If you've got an AI in your building and your generator keeps going down, you should call us instead of assuming that everything is fine. But here in Rangoon, we're evaluating an AI that just might be alive. The team here has named him Alberto Einsteino. But the name so far appears to be ironic. But that's about enough out of Alberto for now, because we're actually here today to talk about Odyssey to Earth Death by Leo P. Kelly. From 1968. This is a very long book compared to some of our previous stories that we've done. Mm, great. It is literally 174 pages. Mm. And so this is going to be split into three parts. If you have heard parts two and three but not part one, then you're doing it wrong. Because mm-hmm. this is part one. Correct. With that in mind, Marguerite, would you please describe the cover for our listeners? Sure. So it's got a guy, he's in a uh, capsule of some sort, uh, egg-shaped glass on the top. There's a bunch of people standing around watching him, and a guy, well, a silhouette of a guy on a pedestal. And the byline for Odyssey to Earth Death reads, Death is the only answer to war. Mm -hmm. This is a first edition that costs 60 cents. Ugh, I miss when books cost 60 cents. <laughs> so we're going to begin Odyssey to Earth Death with a quick note on the era. This takes place in the year 2041, 60 years after World War Three ended. Oh, bummer. Which ended in 1981. Oh, wow, we missed it. Aw. Uh, there's a lot of details that come out pretty quick here, so I'll spare you any more setting up of details. The story is split into three acts. And this episode will be Act 1. The folk. As usual, we'll begin with our first couple sentences. The needle slipped into the man's bulging vein. Philip Villain watched the blood fill up to fill the syringe he held in his right hand like too little time running out away. Mm. Ominous. So we open on a man named Philip Villain taking blood from his assistant, who he then dismisses with a wave of his hand. He puts the blood onto a slide and put, tucks it underneath the microscope, then releases some bacteria into the blood to watch the battle commence. Hmm. The white blood cells attack the bacteria, but are immediately killed, as Philip knew they would be. Ooh, not good. Quote, 
he had succeeded in creating death to preserve life, the life of Cityside and its inhabitants, and the death of the profane others out there in Land's End, beyond the heat shields encircling Cityside and sealing it off from any contact, any Ooh. attack by the Land's Enders. Quiet war. That's exactly correct, because we very quickly learn that in the aftermath of what they call Earth War Three. The entire east coast of the United States has had a heat shield wrapped around it, effectively sealing it off from the rest of the world. And in the intervening years, it has grown into a sprawling megacity. The entire, sorry, how? The entire east coast of the U.S. Oh, the east coast, okay. So even though there's no way in or out, everyone in the city, including Philip, is paranoid about Land's Enders attacking and starting Earth War 4. Who are the Land's Enders? Anyone outside of Cityside. Oh. So the rest of the world. <laughs> Pretty much. Including the rest of America, interestingly enough. <laughs> uh, is there any reason they're afraid? Like, are they actually attacked? They are afraid because they, it's been 60 years and they've been afraid the whole time. Oh, so there's no reason. Yeah, so it's more of a um, general Cold War era coming into the story. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, a shrill siren-like voice interrupts Philip's work. It's the citywide fact clock. Oh, Fact clock. Fact clock. Yay. Telling everyone, quote, Time, 1031. Cityside released rockets and biobombs as scheduled against Land's End from Sector 7 this morning. Conquer kill count up from yesterday, it is believed. <laughs> but there's no verification? Work hard, work wins. Work hard, work wins. Ugh, I don't like this place at all. <laughs> Philip turns on the data fix also known as a computer, and makes a report about the virulent new strain of bacteria he's developed, when suddenly in the middle of his report, he vomits and has a panic attack. Ooh, he's been infected. <laughs> Crossing the lab, he goes to a clean room and takes a shower, and then decides that he's sick of death. He wants to live. When he gets out of the shower, the director of the Life Lab, where he works, Ironically named? Yes, indeed. Summons him to a meeting saying, quote, There you are, Valaine. Technician meeting. Reported once to the main hall. Valaine shook his head. No, he said. The director squinted and repeated his command more firmly this time. No, Valaine said a second time. The monitor abruptly went dark. Naked and without fear, Valaine waited for them to come for him. As one should. So he got out of the shower and dude's like, come to a meeting and he's just standing there naked in front of the... <laughs> In front of the uh, video phone, and he's like, no. I'm naked. <laughs> this is my protest. Uh, so you're going to find out what happens to Philip in a second, because we cut to Simon Pume, the supreme priest man of Cityside. <laughs> he's described as a giant jelly of a man <sighs> who is dressed in a red robe. The best color for him. And he is not just a regular priest man, but the supreme priest man. So there's religion in this. There is. And you could think of him as our Pope. Okay. Jelly Pope. He sits patiently aboard a carveyor. So all of the streets, instead of having cars, all the streets have conveyor belts. Didn't we read a story like that before? Uh, yeah, I believe we had a carveyor in um, episode four, I believe, which was the... Young immigrant couple on that uh, planet. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, sorry. the awesome planet that I want to live on. 
The Underprivileged, episode six. Yeah, the awesome thing that I want to live on. So Simon Pume sits patiently aboard a Carver with hundreds of technicians from the Life Lab. And they're moving down the street in the shadows of massive skyscrapers that surround it. As the Carver winds down the road, Simon inspects the priest men who stand on every single street corner. Oh. They are preaching or singing hymns. Mm-hmm. A random man on the sidewalk spots Simon Pume, supreme priest man, and begins to shudder and shake at the sight of him. <laughs> a priest man on the corner notices the man shuddering and shaking and shoots him with a dart from a blowgun. Oh. The dart is laced with tranquil agent, and in mere seconds the man starts smiling and walks off like nothing happened. Whoa, cool. Supreme priest man Simon Pume suddenly notices that a girl on the carveyor has witnessed the incident and has tears in her eyes. He immediately approaches her, and she greets him like she's in the military, saying, Ruth Cameron, Life Labber, Tier 20, Project Death Development. <laughs> Again, that ironic name. Simon Pume's spidey senses start tingling, because he thinks Ruth might somehow be dangerous. Well, she is in the death lab. <laughs> so he straight up asks her why she's crying. She tells him that it was only the wind... Then salutes him. Sure. Quote, Save Cityside, Pume declared. Down with Land's End, the girl responded. <laughs> Ruth walks off and Simon thinks back to a council meeting about three months back, where everyone was talking about how psych sickness is spreading. <laughs> a councilman named John Detroit says that psych sickness is due to the fact that the entire populace is overworked and everyone needs a vacation. Oh, yeah, definitely. They can't even go anywhere. They're just stuck in this area. Yeah, stuck inside the heat shield. Mm-hmm. One of the, Very protectionist. One of the other councilmen responded by saying, quote, If we were to relax for an instant, Landsenders would swarm over Cityside, topple its towers, defile its women, and massacre its men. No, I say, and no again. It is unthinkable. Unthinkable. No vacations for anyone. No vacations. That's like the worst excuse for no vacations. <laughs> If we hesitate for a moment, our war will be over. Supreme Priest Man Simon Pume stands up to address the chamber uh, in flashback three months ago. Okay. Opening his remarks by reminding everyone that in the last Allegiance alert, he scored a 93.4%. Oh, good for him. He tells everyone he has a plan, but he's not ready to say what it is yet. Mm, Sure. And so we cut to a council meeting a month later, where Simon tells the chamber that man does not live by bombs alone. (laughs) He also needs circuses. What? (laughs) Bombs and circuses? This place sounds like hell. (laughs) Simon's plan is that people need circuses to break up the monotony of constantly attacking Land's End. specifically circuses? And these circuses should happen every night at midnight. Ugh, this is going to be clowns. When asked what he needs to make it happen, Simon asks for a staff and a budget, and the motion carries. Oh, that's weird. Well, he is the Supreme Pope man. And I he mean, has the highest... Man. What do you call it? Oh, the uh, he scored a 93.4% on his allegiance alert. There you go. Allegiance-ness. Allegiosity. So we cut back to the carveyor. Supreme Priestman has finally arrived at the Disposal Depot. Ooh, ominous. On the edge of Cityside. A long line of children has formed. Oh, no. And Simon walks up to another priest man who's with the kids. He learns the kids are going to be taken outside for training in basic forging techniques. Oh, okay. 
they have been given empty canteens that they'll have to fill with water that they locate and purify themselves. Simon notices that one of the kids in the line is eating a biscuit, and when he points it out, the other priest man runs over and slaps the boy in the face. Oh, wow. His ring cutting open the boy's cheek. Seems like an overreaction. The boy is not all that thrilled by this development. So Surprisingly. Supreme Pope Nan, I mean priest man, Simon, cheers the boy up by ordering him to always obey his local priestman, you know, for his own good. That'll cheer you up. A few minutes later, Simon reaches the outer gate of the disposal depot, where a priestman asks him if he's there to observe or requisition. Simon tells him it's none of his business. <laughs> and the man opens the door to let him enter the disposal depot. Mm. Inside is a stinking, seething mass mm. of dirty, naked, crazy humans. Oh, gross. Hundreds of people who are suffering from psych sickness mm. that we had just learned about. At the sight of the Supreme Priest Man, the crowd surges at Simon in a rage who keeps everyone at bay with his sound shocker. He doesn't bother to aim the gun, but just kind of shoots into the crowd and kills several people. Oh, wow. The Priest Man assisting Simon begins calling out to the crowd for a man, looking for someone. I need a man! <laughs> Give me a man! I'm looking for a man! <laughs> Philip Villain, in this case. <laughs> oh, specific man, just yes. not just any man. After an extended search, they find him naked and filthy and bring him back into the city where he showered and given clothes before being brought to Simon Pume. And so Simon meets Philip Villain by saying, quote, I've saved you from Land's End, and with your cooperation, I'll save you from yourself. So remember when Philip was having his little moment of vomiting and then he was like, no, I'm not going to go to a meeting. I'm sick of death. Yep. That's psych sickness. Oh, when you're tired of doing your job. Yes. And I guess he got out of the shower naked and just stayed naked forever <laughs> at that point. He's not done with clothes. So they brought him to the disposal depot, which we're actually going to learn more about later. Doesn't sound very humane <laughs> or effective. The sudden chanting of priestmen from outside the room interrupts the conversation and marks the moment that hundreds of people suffering from psych sickness are suddenly being forced outside the city. Hmm. Philip says that he should have gone with them, but Simon tells him that Cityside forgives him and needs his help. Philip, who is suffering from psych sickness, says that he chooses Land's End. Oh, wow. <laughs> Simon tells him that he has no choice. And he brings Philip to the window, where they watch a crowd of the psych-sick mingle outside the city wall. How do they know they're not just creating enemies and then shoving them out the door? <laughs> well, that's probably exactly what's happening. <laughs> Simon motions to a guard, who fires his sound shocker, killing a man instantly. Simon then asks if Philip will agree to help him. And when the answer is again no, the guard shoots another random person in the crowd. I'm not sure why Philip would care. After a few more people die, Philip finally agrees to help. Ugh, this is tiring. And Simon promises him that each time he refuses any order from now on, more people will die. Again, is there a reason why he would care? I mean, he was in the death department. It's not like he cares about killing people. Well, yeah, but he was always killing city-siders before. I was worried, landsenders, not city-siders. Right, but isn't anyone in the whatever depot considered a traitor? Yeah, that's true. I guess that he's trying to appeal to his basic humanity. Mm, good luck with that. 
they travel back into the main city of Cityside and head up to Simon's apartment on the 204th floor of a skyscraper. Oh, sexy. On the way, the Supreme Priest Man chatters happily about how to save Cityside because he knows how. They have to prevent psych sickness. Sure. With circuses. <laughs> that is the cure. They enter Simon's apartment to find a huge open space described as opulent and lush. Simon offers Philip a caffeine and a scent smoke. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> offer him a coffee, just offered him a caffeine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then tells him that his colleagues have been summoned, other city ciders that Simon has also handpicked from the disposal depot. Hmm. Suddenly, a 12-year-old girl appears in the room. Philip <laughs> leaps back in shock. But oh, disgusting. <laughs> but Simon introduces the girl as sister, saying that he saved her from the disposal depot. It turns out that she has the ability to teleport. Oh, so there's... Some mutations, hmm. yeah. Yeah. There's some mutants in here. Okay. Uh, she can teleport, and her parents were freaked out by her powers and abandoned her on the street. Oh. Well, if she can teleport, she can just go wherever she wants. Sister asks Philip what he can do. Like, what are your powers? But when Philip doesn't understand, a voice from across the room declares, Sister wants to know what your special abilities are. Our host wouldn't have selected you at random. Philip turns to see a tall man with huge muscles. Hmm. Quote, He had a curiously intent look mingled with an air of faint distraction, hmm. like that of a man smelling rain on the wind and waiting for the first deep thud of thunder in the sky. Specific? His powerful body and limbs seemed about to burst free of the tight leather pants and saffron <laughs> shirt he wore. Wow. And Philip and Villain began to wonder how the room itself could contain him. Oh, these are all our circus performers then. You are getting the picture. He introduces himself as Adam York and says he used to live in the dump. <laughs> I can't believe he would admit that. <laughs> Adam and sister take Philip across the apartment to a room stuffed with books where an old man named Grandsir greets him and tells everyone to leave because he's busy reading. <laughs> I would too. So um, apparently Adam York's power is tight leather pants and yeah, he's got big muscles. Because he's muscly and he fits some pants. Sister's special ability is teleporting yep. and Grandsir's ability is reading. His grouchiness. <laughs> also my special ability. Grouchiness? Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh. Heading back to the main room, Simon prepares a meal with the help of a deluxe service set built into the wall, hmm. also known as a replicator. Nice. They begin eating when Simon asks Sister to bring a tray of food over to Grandsir. She ignores him, so after a few minutes, Simon reaches into his robes and hits a button on a control panel that rests on his chest next to his heart. In response to the button being pushed, Sister falls screaming to the floor. Uh, of course. Until Simon lets go of the button. At which point he tells her to bring food to Grandsir. Wow. And she complies this time. Terrible. Adam York explains to Philip that Simon has implanted chips in all of their brains that will cause immense oh, pain when activated. Great. That'll make a real joyful circus. <laughs> and then the final member of the team arrives when Gordon walks in. A chipper, happy little dwarf with long golden hair. Mm -hmm. Gordon climbs onto Simon's lap. And Simon oh, begins feeding him food right off his own plate. Huh. The group chat a little bit longer before Gordon and Simon head off. And once they're out of hearing range, Adam York tells Philip that Gordon is a telepath that can kill people with his mind. Oh, wow. 
When Adam asks Philip what his power is, Philip replies that he designed viruses. You know, until he got psych sick. <laughs> that's less of a power and more of an education, really. Yeah, that's just a job. His power is being educated. Mm-hmm. York admits that he was a scientist, too. And in fact, he had designed a new form of television that directly interfaces with the brain to create intensely stimulating sense patterns. They chat a little bit more, and then suddenly Philip wakes up, never having realized he was asleep at all. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> Simon and Gordon stand at the foot of his bed, and Simon confesses that Philip was drugged so that Gordon could put an implant into his brain. He hadn't already? No, he hadn't. He just oh. fetched him from the disposal depot. Oh, I just assumed it happened sometime in between. He immediately tests it out with his control panel, sending Philip to the floor in pain. <laughs> the pain is described as worse than anything he had ever known or imagined. Philip feels above and behind his left ear and finds a small disc implanted there, and when he touches the disc, it hurts. When the pain finally wears off, Simon takes Philip across the apartment to a room he hasn't seen yet. His brand new lab! Ooh. Philip is shown a matter manipulator and is told that in the circus he's creating, he's gonna need to make some freaks. Oh, wow. Lucky for him, a bunch of corpses are waiting. Oh, no. And Simon explains that Philip's job is to revivify them, and manipulate their DNA to make them into freaks. Oh, this is terrible. Nothing is, like, cheerful and circusy, like, mutated zombies. <laughs> he's told to use his imagination. And with that, Simon and Gordon depart. In their wake, Grancer enters, and the old man shows Philip a book with pictures of circus freaks. Grancer tells Philip that before World War III, he owned a bookstore. And now Simon delivers him all kinds of books. So what does this guy do? Grancer? Uh, he's pretty much just the advisor. Oh, because he's so well-read? Mm-hmm. And old? And old. <laughs> Running low on morale, Philip gets to work. And immediately brings back a body to life, then manipulates its DNA to replace arms with feathery wings. Oh, that's kind of pretty. And fast, apparently. Yeah, super easy to bring back the dead, I guess. And Grancer's delighted. Cut to one week later. Simon is visiting Philip's lab and is overjoyed by the progress. He inspects several of the freaks, who he refers to as revives. They're all heavily drugged and drooling. They smell terrible. They're not capable of speech or reasoning, and they have biological needs they're not capable of maintaining, <laughs> such as eating and going to the washroom. Oh, that's disgusting. Philip says he's going to need someone to take care of the freaks and suggests Gordon for the job. Oh, God, this is going to be the worst circus ever. But Simon tells him that's a bad idea because Gordon will probably use the freaks for his experiments and kill them instead of taking care of them. Instead, he picks up the visiphone and calls the disposal depot to find a priestman to take care of one of the freaks. But when he's told there's no available priestman, he says anyone will do, and the man at the disposal depot assigns him someone with psych sickness. Oh, what? This place is well, chaos. Well, just like uh, how Adam York had psych sickness and was living in the dump, and Philip had psych sickness and was living among the naked crazies. <laughs> So, Simon heads to the disposal depot and ends up getting paired with Ruth Cameron, the thin blonde girl he'd spotted crying on the carveyor belt a few weeks before. Oh yeah, that's right. As they head across town on the carveyor, Ruth says that she wishes she could see the sun. And when Simon tells her, just look at it, it's right there in the sky, <laughs> goddammit, she says she wishes she could see it, 
without the heat shield in the way. Oh. But suddenly, an alert sounds. The Allegiance Alert! Ah, oh, yay. Ah, oh, time for Simon to try to beat his high score. The Carveyor slows to a stop, and all the people on the Carveyor move to stand up against the sides of the buildings, humming hypnotically, while the podiums on every street corner, holding all the priestmen, rise up. In the distance, Simon can hear the sound of launching rockets headed for Land's End. And the priestmen lead the crowd in a rousing chant of Save Cityside! Save, save, save! Uh, there's a lot of chanting, actually. Cool. I, I didn't put in all the chants. Oh, this place sounds terrible. It, it was kind of cheerleady. You know, there's a lot of stuff about, oh, the enemy's evil, down with Land's End, blah, blah, blah. Down with pants. The priestmen whip the crowd into a frenzy, shouting all kinds of slogans about how great Cityside is. Mm -hmm. And then the priestman shouts, Who? Who will save Cityside? And some random woman runs up to a priestman, going nuts with emotion and energy. And she's like, I'll save Cityside! Me, by myself. And the priestman's like, You'll do it. You'll save Cityside? And she's like, I'm going to work hard and work wins. And her eyes are rolling around like crazy, and she's ecstatic, and there's a moment of silence while the priest man stands there, until he suddenly shouts, 22%! Below the normal! Not enough! And then... And then... And, and then... then uh, so I have no idea how the Allegiance Alert scoring system works. <laughs> right. But the woman starts uh, ratting out her co-workers to try to raise her score. Oh, wow. Because she was saying, you know, uh, Josh Haverland was singing while he worked the <gasps> other day. Is that good or bad? Can you imagine that? Okay, that's bad. And he spilled some cancer cells. Oh, no. <laughs> but the priest man looks her right in the eye and says, 22%. Not enough. And the woman runs back to the other side of one of the buildings, just crying. Is there consequences for her? We don't ever know oh <laughs> then some other guy runs up and starts shouting some really violent shit about invading land's end and killing literally all of them literally Ooh. right now mm -hmm. and then a bunch of other people run in after him and start screaming and it quickly turns into a riot where people start randomly attacking each other so riots are still permitted well it's kind of a religious fervor riot ah so that's permitted but someone on the fringes of the violence notices that Ruth isn't joining in the shouting of slogans. Heaven forbid. So the crowd singles her out as an enemy. Simon leaps into the mob to try to save her, and because he's the supreme priest man, I mean Pope man, mm -hmm. everyone stops and he explains Ruth is psych sick, at which point the crowd backs off, quickly scared that she might be contagious. Mm, she probably is. Simon escorts her away and takes her back to the apartment explaining to her on the way the entire plan about the circus. Hmm. He says that because Ruth used to work in the nursery, she's qualified to take care of the freaks. Oh, wow. Uh huh. Sounds about right. Ruth counters by telling him about the horrors she witnessed in the nursery. Oh, really? Eh, sounds about right. Including the creation of the Limbos, the strange inhuman creatures who patrol the perimeter of Cityside just outside the heat shield. Oh, so when they say nursery, they actually mean like a... Freak nursery. <laughs> After F Ruth has a few hours of rest, uh, Simon introduces her to Philip and the freaks. She thinks Philip is a horrible person for going along with Simon's plan. 
But Simon checks behind her ear and confirms the scar. She's been implanted with a pain disc, just like the rest of them. Oh, God, this place sucks. So that's when she tries to run away, but uh, Gordon shows up in the doorway and stops her. Because even though he's a dwarf, he has apparently immense strength. Isn't he also psychic? Uh, yeah, he could kill people with his thoughts. Yeah. But he's also crazy strong. Oh. Because Ruth is uh, trying to, like, get out and can't even budge him. Hmm. So, in response to her attempts to escape, he pulls out a syringe and drugs her. Of course. When she wakes up sometime later, she's in the living room with the rest of the group, and they have full introductions all around. I find it a bit creepy how whenever somebody is passed out, people just stand around them until they wake up. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> Philip and Ruth begrudgingly accept the fact that they're going to have to work together. And we have a cheery moment of happy banter between Adam York, sister, and grandsir. Wow. Our villain, the villainous Simon Pume, puts a quick end to the banter by ordering Philip and Ruth back to work. No, banter. Banter is not allowed. Work, work, work. So they head back to the lab full of revives, where Ruth stares at the mindless freaks and says, quote, They're like us. Not dead. Not alive. Uh, like us. Exactly like us, huh? Suddenly, a scream echoes from the other room. Philip and Ruth run back to the living room to find Simon pressing the button on his control panel, screaming at sister to dance like a ballerina. Oh my god. Because. Because. The circus is coming to town. Ugh. End of part one. I am not a fan of circuses, and this so far this is not winning me over. Because of the circus? Yes, just the circus part. I promise you that this is going to be a circus unlike any you have seen or heard of. No doubt, they're zombies. Before. Mutant zombies. That's right. Actually, uh, just as a word of warning, part two is going to be the single darkest episode that we've ever done. Even darker than this? Oh, yeah. Oh. It's magnificent. Oh. <laughs> so that was Odyssey to Earth Death by Leo P. Kelly, hmm. part one. Part two's coming up right next week. Excellent. So this has been the Everett Book Club. You can visit us online at www.everettbookclub.com. Or email us at everettbookclub at hotmail.com. Our Facebook group is Everett Book Club, and our Twitter is at Everett Book Club, and our Instagram. Everett Book Club. If you or your organization are building an artificial intelligence... Ruiz and I are available to administer Turing tests. Please note there is no guarantee of accuracy, efficacy, or professionalism. Ever. And if you know any second-hand bookstores that deserve some love, email us, and we'll give them a shout-out. So, Marguerite, we're almost done with our lunch break. How do you feel about heading back to the lab to chat with Alberto Einsteino, our AI? Stupid name. <laughs> I feel great about it, because I'm going to try and convert Alberto to Zoroastrianism. And I'm going to see if I can convince Alberto that pyramid schemes are profitable for the people on the bottom. Can't believe Alberto gave you that nickname. You're so lucky. Lucky, huh? I wouldn't call Boron a nickname. Meh, you've had worse nicknames. <laughs> you've given me worse nicknames. Yeah, like I said, 